If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Getting your team up to date on the latest skills required for success is hard work, but you don't have to worry about it anymore. Jolt is an online training platform that helps professionals and organizations access up-to-date training from practitioners at the top of their game. No more watching e-learning videos that are not interactive and may contain obsolete information where you access them. Each Jolt training is done live via interactive Skype or webinar, and the trainers are both practitioners and thought leaders in their field. So you get the latest information that can change your business at the right time. Visit jolt.us and find out how you can start getting the right training for your team today. That's www.jolt.us. Tell them she sent you. Hey guys, i got a great show for you today. I'm talking with Stephanie Chung. Stephanie is a former sales executive in the aviation and private jet industry. She's a highly sought after speaker. She's written a book or two books titled um, Profit Like a Girl, A Woman's Guide to Kicking Button Sales and Leadership, and Embrace the Suck, How to Grow and Succeed in Business. She's also cre- the creator of the high-ticket selling made simple, an online course desi- designed to help um, business professionals close high-paying clients. So I'm pleased to have her on the show today to tell us a little bit about making high-ticket sales and sales in general. So Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chi. I appreciate that. Glad to be here. Very excited for today's conversation. Great. So, Stephanie, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I uh, grew up an Air Force brat here in the United States. And uh, so I grew up around active Air Force bases my entire life. And so I knew early on that I wanted to do something in aviation when I started my career. So I started out working for the airlines. Um, I worked for uh, US Air, which is now American Airlines. I worked for some of the other uh, large uh, airlines as well. And uh, did that start out at the ticket counter, you know, greeting customers and and then, of course, working downstairs in operations, uh, you know, shucking luggage and <laughs> packing the plane underneath. And, uh, and then I uh, got into sales. And so worked as an outside salesperson for the airlines. I was 25 years old when I first got my first outside sales job carrying a quota. And my quota was $25 million. Uh, and then did that for many years, was successful there, got recruited into the private jet space where I started out uh, selling chartered aircraft and then moved into uh, eventually becoming the VP of sales for one of the world's largest manufacturer of business jets. So my, me and my team, we sold things like Learjets and um, Global Expresses and Challengers and stuff like that. So my team, when I ended my career as a VP of sales in the private jet space, my team uh, had a quota of nearly a billion dollars that we had to produce each and every year. So that's a little bit of background in regards to my corporate career. Uh, about four years ago, I left corporate and started my own executive coaching practice, which is what I do now today. And I love it because I get to work with uh, executives on leadership communication or uh, really get to work with my passion, which is salespeople, high ticket elite salespeople and work with them to crush their quotas consistently. So that's a little bit about me, Chief. Now you said a lot of things here. For example, I'm already scared at having a target of a billion dollars in sales annually. So I don't know. How, I don't know how you and your team were able to do it, but um, 
before we get to that, we'll talk a little bit about your background as an army brat. So um, my college roommate, his parents were in the Navy, so they moved around quite a bit. So I guess I guess I'm getting the sense that you are basically a professional new kid, you know, moving around every two years <laughs> or every three years. Is, is mm-hmm. that correct? So what were some of that the, is correct. So what were some of the skills and um, lessons you learned being always the new girl in every school or in every city after every couple of years? Well, you know, that's a great question. And it's funny because I, when you're going through it, right, because I moved every two years of my entire life growing up because uh, we, my dad was in the Air Force. So we went from Air Force Base to Air Force Base to Air Force Base. Now, when you're a kid, that just becomes your normal way of life and you don't really think much of it. You're always the new kid in school. You're always the one that has to make friends. You're always the ones that has to adjust to the change, adjust to the new environment, adjust to the new neighborhood and so on and so forth. So you're 100% accurate. I do call myself a professional new kid because that was just my norm and I didn't know any better. Now, fast forward as an adult, I am so grateful Chi, for that because I can actually now as an adult, there's, you know, I, there's not a stranger I haven't met, right? <laughs> so mm. I can, you know, talk to people, I can talk to anyone, I can carry a conversation pretty much about anything with anyone because I've probably either lived where they live or I've been to where they live or I've met someone who's, you know, got a similar background or Perhaps we've got some synergies as far as industries are concerned. So I'm grateful now, and I, and I really believe it makes me a much better executive because I have mad communication skills, because I, have to, I had to learn that early on as a child, and if I wanted to survive, right, if I wanted yeah. to have any kind of social life, I needed to learn how to get into a situation and adjust and make sure that I know how to communicate uh, based on not so much my communication style, but based on the person who I'm speaking with. What's their communication? communication style? Where do they feel most comfortable? And that uh, literally gave me a competitive advantage as well going uh, through my sales career going on throughout my sales career. So there's a lot of lessons that you learn, and I'm sure your friend would attest to it as well. Those of us that are military kids, uh, you know, we learn some stuff and sometimes we learn it the hard way and sometimes we learn it, you know, not such a hard way. But, uh, But overall, I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I was afforded by moving all the time and getting to meet uh, some really special people throughout our world. Great. And your dad was in the Navy, I beg you, not the Navy, the Air Force. So, the Air Force. Yeah. So uh-huh. being a strict military man, for example, what mm-hmm. were some of the lessons and the discipline he instilled in you? Because it seemed after moving around, you have that experience mm-hmm. of kind of like being an unofficial diplomat, sort of, but you also live in a house where you have a guy that is prim and proper and everything has to be, you know, in an excellent way. So what were some mm-hmm. of the lessons you learned from him before we... Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I grew up literally, and not just from my dad, but also every other soldier that I was around, right, is I grew up understanding that excellence is the only standard, right? That Mm. is the norm. And so consequently, I absolutely hate mediocrity. cannot stand it. And I, and I don't mean in any shape, form, and fashion. I hate it, right? Because when you think about it, right, I'm living, you know, growing up as a little girl and all the way up until I was, you know, 18 years old on active Air Force bases. And really what that meant is I would uh, wake up and every, you know, be around people that every shoe is shined, 
<laughs> right? There's like no dusty shoes or, you know, no holes in their pants or nothing like that. Every shoe was shined. Every shirt was creased. Every, you know, pant, um, you know, was perfectly fitted. And even in the mornings when I would wait for the bus to go to school, you'd see the soldiers running in unison, you know, um, and, and getting their, their, their daily discipline done before we were actually going to school. I always say when you grow up around soldiers, they do more before six o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. than most of us do all day, right? Yeah. So, so I grew up understanding that excellence has to be the norm, and that you know, for 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 your listeners, I know you and I were chatting a little bit on the phone before we jumped on. And, you know, one thing I like to convey to anyone that's either coming up through the ranks in business or perhaps going to open their own business is you really have to get used to once upon a time, it was okay to be good. But those days are dead, Hmm. right? You can't be good. You can't even be great. You need to be excellent. And um, I work a lot with some of the special ops people. And uh, one particular gentleman that uh, he and I are very close, he's a former Navy SEAL. And he does a whole piece on, you know, forget excellence. You need to be thinking elite, right? So one thing I would encourage, uh, you know, and whenever anyone listens, I would just always tell the mediocre, if you do anything, you know, mediocre or, uh, you know, settle for mediocrity, or it's just the way things are, you're going to, you're going to die a slow, painful death as far as business is concerned, Mm -hmm. because everything's moving so fast and we're, you know, living in the global world and you just have to be bigger and better than your competition. Mm. And so you've got to take that mindset on that. There is no mediocrity. There is no okay or average those that doesn't exist. And so for me, I'm glad that I had a, uh, you know, grew up in a military base and had a, a, and have a dad, uh, that is very much about if you're going to do it, do it right and do it right the first time, uh, because there is no plan B, right. You've got to complete the mission. Mm -hmm. Great. So you now grow up, you go through college, you get your first job in the aviation industry, and then subsequently, you know, after a couple of years, you get into this sales position where you're responsible for bringing in $25 million now. I don't know if um, in the Air Force you guys were rich or anything, but how does a 20-something-year-old kid, you know, um, start to bring in $25 million as a quota for sales. I know. Well, first of all, let me tell you, <laughs> I doubt if you'll find any rich military person here in the States, right? <laughs> if they're there, let me know because I need to see seek out those people. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I definitely grew up a military brat and we had, you know, just typical middle class family. Um, and, and so you're right. When I got my very first sales job and realized that that was the quota, um, I just remember, see, this, and this is a good lesson learned at the beginning mm-hmm. when I got the quota. Uh, and, you know, I remember sitting around at the office in our, in my, at the time, my manager was giving out quotas to everybody that was sitting at the table, you know, cause she had, she had her quota and then was kind of divvying it up to who was going to get what. And so my quota ended up being one of the higher ones on the team. And though I was a new salesperson, so I was feeling myself Chi, right? I was like, all right, I got the mm-hmm. highest quota and I'm the newest person. She must see something special. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I will tell you my first year in sales was horrific. I mean, it was horrible. Okay. I really struggled because, because I didn't, uh, I needed to one, a humble myself Mm -hmm. and to, to realize that I didn't know what I didn't even know. Okay. So 
the company did really great. They sent me to a lot of different sales training and I would listen to any kind of um, audio that I could get my hands on about sales training and technique. I would go to any type of training. I would read the books. I would do anything I could possibly get my hands on because I knew I needed to hit this $25 million quota. But I also knew deep down inside, inside I didn't know how to do it, Chi. I had no idea I was going to get this accomplished. So unfortunately, I didn't. my boss wasn't the type who was going to coach me and mentor me and develop me and help me get there. That wasn't her. She mm-hmm. was like, you need to get there. You know, I need to get that $25 million. And if you can't get it in, then I need to get somebody else in here who can. So that was my first year in sales. I didn't have a lot of support. Um, I just knew what the task was that I needed to have happen. And she wasn't particularly friendly or supportive to me. You know, actually she was kind of trying to make me give up and quit so she could bring in uh, someone who had a stronger talent into the equation. So my first year was tough. So I spent a lot of time going home. I had too much pride, geez, so I wouldn't cry in front of her, uh, even though she was tormenting me all the time. But I would go home and cry because I just knew that I was way over my head. Okay. So what I did is, you know, you get to that point where you just kind of get sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I remember standing in front of the mirror. I had cried all night. My eyes were puffy. I'm not one of those dainty criers, right? My (laughs) eyes were puffy, but you're snot coming out of my nose. It was like really a horrible scene. And I remember just looking at myself going, you have got to suck it up. You got to figure this out. Chung. And, and so I really had that tough conversation with myself. And I think that there are times that we all need to do that instead of feeling sorry for ourselves and licking our wounds. It's like, sometimes you have to have that conversation that only you can have Mm -hmm. to say, get it together, suck it up and figure it out. So that's what I did. Embrace the suck. Exactly. Exactly. And so at that particular night, I laid out all my, um, you know, trainings that I had gone to and every book. And I've kind of put all the pieces together so that I could figure out how to make this make sense for me. Because up until this point, sales was just one big jumble of jargon that I could not figure out. I couldn't figure out when do I handle objections and what's my unique value proposition and how do I do an open probe versus a closed probe? I didn't know any of that stuff. It was just a bunch of words, but the technique didn't make any sense to me. And so that particular night when I laid it all out and I kind of started to structure it in a way that would make sense so that I could get it. So I would have a half a chance of getting this $25 million in. Um, it started to click at that moment. Mm. And once it started to click, Chi, it started to click very quickly. And I'm grateful now, you know, I wasn't grateful at the time for you know going home and crying every night, but I was great. I'm grateful now because the same thing that I did on my living room floor, trying to put all that together is now Thank God, that's the same ability that I've got to when I work with my clients who perhaps they've got this big ball of, you know, confusion yeah. and they need it simplified so that they can get the task accomplished. And uh, so that's what I did. And once I started to get it, it clicked and I did end up hitting the $25 million quota. Not only did I hit the quota, but then I was the number one sales producer on the team. And then I've been a top producer ever since. And that was well over 30, you know, almost 30 years ago. And now, fortunately, what I do as, a, as an elite sales coach is I help other sales teams and sales individuals not just hit their quota, but consistently crush their quota because we can take the complexity and make it extremely simple. Mm-hmm. And I learned that 
my first year in sales with the non-supportive boss and, you know, all the uh, torment that I went through my first year, I actually now use it to uh, not just bless myself and my own business, but more importantly, bless all of my clients as well um, by being able to take this complicated thing called sales and make it extremely simplified so they people can get it. Fantastic. And so you did mm-hmm. that and then you transitioned to a new company where you're selling private, you got recruited to sell private jets and then you have a target of a billion dollars and then sometime around 2013, because I noticed from 2007 to 2013, you worked for this company. So um, what happened? You, you got laid off, but before we talk about the layoff and then how you transition into your current business now, between 2007 to 2009 was kind of like the you know, the great recession in the United States and across the globe. So how were you able to have a high-performance um, sales culture, especially given that uh, people were probably cutting back on flying private jets with everything we saw on the news, you know, the investment bankers flying private to the senior hearings and all that stuff. So how did you navigate through the recession? And then what happened that led to you being um, laid off? Mm-hmm. So great question. So you're right. During you know t- uh, 2007, 2008, we as a as a, well the whole globe, but I know here in the states we really went through uh, what we call the Great Recession, and you know it was interesting times during that time because you're 100% right. No one was buying private jets, right? Mm-hmm. There was just so much going on that if anything, people were turning back their private jets because you know no one knew when this recession was going to be over. Yeah. So what we had to do and what I uh, did specifically as it pertains to my team is to really, as a business, we, you know, we did uh, what a lot of businesses did. We had to make some serious decisions, cut costs where we could and, and go lean and mean, if you will. But during that time also, what my uh, sales team and I did is we shifted our focus. So knowing that we weren't going to be able to get new business because of just the, the climate that we were in, what we wanted to do was to make sure that we came out of this thing making sure we didn't lose any additional customers okay, okay. so we jumped in uh, we jumped out of the mode of new business captures and moved more into the mode of competitive captures so how do you take new competition and then also uh, loyalty and retention how do you keep the current customers that you've got so we we did a major shift within the organization and you know it's really interesting because when you focus in on making sure that you uh, keep the current customers and you know loyalty and retention well that's a different skill set yeah. and uh, and so you know the ultimate goal for any entrepreneur or for any business for that matter is that you want to have your clients buy more stuff from you buy bigger stuff from you mm-hmm. and go tell all their friends about you yeah. like that's the the role right and so what we did is is we made sure that, you know, from a sales perspective, that the sales team was really equipped and held accountable to you and knew what the vision and the mission was, which was how do we get our customers to absolutely fall in love with us at just a whole different level. So we set out on this, this thing, which we called delighting the customer. And that meant that we restructured the entire business. How do we become super easy to do business with? Mm. How do we make sure that the customer is being not just, again, not mediocre, not, you know, everything's good. No, we need to make sure that we literally delight the customer. How do we become part of their trusted inner circle, right? So we're not a vendor. We're not a partner. We are literally a trusted advisor. And again, that's a different skill set that's needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we really focused in on 
you know, putting steps in place to make sure that the salesperson was not just, you know, you see the salesperson when it's time to sell you another jet, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We didn't want that. It's like, how do we make sure that we get get the customers to really know that, wow, when I need something, you know, this is the team that I go to. They are not just my vendors, but they're my trusted advisor. How do we make sure that we're easy to do business with? So we put and revamped the entire organization to adhere to those types of things. Here's what's really interesting is when we came out of the recession by doing uh, different steps, you know, internally um, and, you know, making sure that we were easy to do business with and that we, you know, like I'll give you an example. One of the things that we did is um, when you think of loyalty and retention, instead of doing big, huge events that cost a lot of money, we got rid of that and we decided, you know what, let's go ahead and do things that are going to be very customer focused, very intimate with the customer and get and create that stickiness that drives them to think of us as the trusted advisor. And then more importantly, drives them to just think of us, period, so that when they're friends, right, because rich people know rich people, people who have private jets know other people who have private jets. When they're on the golf course or in the country club or, you know, in their board meetings talking to their uh, colleagues or friends and the conversation of a private jet comes up, well, because we've created such stickiness, because we were obsessed with delighting the customer, it was a natural transition for our customers to say, hey, you know what, if you're thinking about a private jet, you really need to talk to, you know, XYZ company and and talk to my guys specifically or my girls specifically. Mm. So we worked really hard, really hard during that recession time since we couldn't really go sell new jets. It's like, how do we get more business out of our current customers, whether that be through referrals or renewals or just loyalty and retention? So you did Mm -hmm. that and then your company gets acquired and then your called into your office, the office by your boss and told, hey, Stephanie, mm-hmm. um, we're yeah. letting you go. That's on uh, November the 11th, 2013, if I'm not mistaken. So, yep. So, yep. So, so, so what happened? How did you feel? And then um, what triggered you to say, you know what, rather than take another job offer or interview, I'm going to start executive coaching at the high mm-hmm. level? Yeah. So, um, so what happened for me is... You're 100% right, and your data is 100% accurate. On November 11, 2013, I um, we were we were going through a merger and acquisition. So one of our competitors had uh, decided that they were going to buy us. And so we, the leadership team, we were already in in the midst of all that, right? Trying to get uh, the business prepared for that. And during that time, I had had some conversations with my CEO and had asked, you know, uh, as everybody would, so is my position secure? Is it not? You know, so on and so forth. And uh, no, no, as far as I know, it's secure. You know, and she thought eventually the whole leadership team for the division that, that I was in, all of us uh, ended up getting wiped out. Right. But because you don't need two leadership teams and the team that the, uh, and since we were being purchased and not being the purchaser, then, you know, it, um, eventually what happened is the entire leadership team was able to get some really great packages, but you know, we're certainly, uh, uh, you know, shown we were on the opposite side or the bad side of the equation. So one of the things that happened for me during that time, how did I feel? Well, I felt she betrayed. I felt hurt. I felt angry. I felt, you know, deceived. I mean, so I had a lot of negative feelings that were going on during this time because I had been told time after time after time, your position secure. 
Okay. Um, but you know, just like I said, in the, in the military, you gotta, you gotta, it is what it is. Uh-huh. Right. And yeah. so sometimes, uh, you have to embrace the suck and you've got to figure out, okay, what's that plan B going to look like? What's Stephanie 2.0 going to look like? And so when I first got laid off, the first couple of months was really tough because unfortunately I had, I loved my career. I loved my team. I loved my company. I loved what I did. I'd been doing, you know, aviation for so long. I mean, almost 30 years. So it's a big part of who I um, am and who I was. But the one thing I always share with people is the unfortunate part, uh, and yet the good part, is you can easily start to be consumed with your career. And before you know it, what you do becomes who you are. And that was the problem that I didn't even know that I had until what I did no longer existed. Mm. And then the question became, who am I really? Right? When you rip away the title, who am I? And so for several months, I had to kind of step back and really have my own come to Jesus conversation with myself, right? Another one of those big girl conversations, looking at myself in the mirror going, okay, you know, the rubbers met the road. Who are you? You know, when you strip away who you are as a mom or as a wife or, you know, as an executive, just who is Stephanie Chung? And so I spent the time to get to know myself again. You know, what is it that I like to do and hate to do? And what am I good at? And what am I not good at? And, you know, what are my flaws? And what are my uh, areas that, that I could stand to improve? And just really having a, you know, doing deep surgery on yourself. And so I took the time to do that. And I encourage people who get laid off, especially if it's not expected, I encourage everybody to take the time to go through that grievance period Mm -hmm. um, because you'll come out healthier on the opposite end. But if you don't go through the grievance period, it will come up in the most weirdest times uh, and it will subconsciously start to sabotage you. You know, so at the beginning, I, you know, took some time off to myself and just really started to do the internal work that was needed to really figure out what is it that I like to do? What am I really good at? And that, that kind of leads to your next question for me, instead of going and taking another job. And I had several different options at that time to just, you know, go back into another executive position within aviation and just keep it moving. But I really chose to make, and I made a conscious decision on this. I figured let's take a courageous moment. I've got a lot of good skill and I've learned a lot of, um, you know, good, um, lessons throughout my career and some things that I think would be of value to other people or other organizations. So step out on faith, take that courageous moment and start up your own business. And for me, I happen to lean more towards the executive coaching side, um, just because the things that when I wrote down my pros and cons of what's this next phase going to look like for me, what I loved is I loved working with people. And I loved being able to work with people on becoming better communicators or work with people on how to, you know, become a better salesperson um, or how to, you know, serve others. And so that's the stuff that I really loved. And so it was a natural fit for me to move into the executive coaching arena. So I did that, started that, uh, actually next month will make my, the beginning of my fourth year in running my own business. And I haven't looked back since, you know, we started winning awards as far as uh, our, our coaching practice was concerned within six months and, you know, then started getting international recognition. And so it's just been a a incredible journey. And, And one thing I would share with your, um, listeners is we all go through tough times, right? And so it's not about the tough time. We're all, we are going to go through tough times. It's about, you know, tough people not letting tough times define them. It's about knowing that tough times won't last, but tough people will, right? It's really about what are you going to do when you have that tough time? Are you going to sit there and cry like a baby and just keep crying and use that as an excuse? 
or are you going to embrace the suck, right? And then to figure out what's going to, how are you going to take the lessons learned, wipe the dust off your feet, fig, you know, wipe your snot off your nose, right? And get back in there and figure out what's that next thing going to be for you. Because I personally think everything happens for a reason. And if I will allow it, that any of the negative things, uh, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, I can actually be, it can be used for my good and for the good of others if I'll allow it. And so I chose to allow it. And so it's been a, a journey that if I had to do it again, I'd actually want it to be done the same exact way. As a high-level sales coach, working with people, executive coach, teaching them about sales, business, leadership, and communication, for example, um, what are some of the five things you'd coach someone that is in an elite sales position? What are, what are your... My go-to tips? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, well, at the elite level, you know, there's a couple things that have to happen. One, you have to have mad selling skills, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and here's, I actually tell this to even people who are, let's say, they're business owners or entrepreneurs who don't have a sales background. You must, must, must come to grips with the fact that everybody's in sales. And whether it's you're selling your vision, you're selling your brand, you're selling, you know, you're selling your kids how they need to eat their spinach that day, right? You know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, we're all in sales. And so, and, and just because you may not be comfortable with it or may not like it doesn't mean that it just goes away. Yeah. You've got to come to grips with, you've got to get really, really good at sales. And when I say really good, I don't mean, oh, I'm good with people and therefore I'm good with sales. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's good for the, the amateur level. It's certainly not good for the elite level. At the elite level, you have to have selling skills, you have to have formalized sales training, you have to understand the psychology of sales, and you most importantly need to understand how best to communicate with people because just like buyers have a decision-making process, salespeople have one as well. So the very first thing is I would say is you've got to have mad selling skills. The second thing, and I kind of touched upon it already, is you have to be really, really good at sales communication. One size never fits all. And so what I always tell salespeople is if you have only one proposal or you answer email inquiries the same exact way or you have one pitch, if you will, then shame on you. Because all of us have different uh, communication styles, and our job as salespeople is to be able to figure out, based on the buyer in front of you, what is their communication style. And then you, since you're the salesperson, you adjust your style accordingly. So you should have four different kinds of proposals. You should have, you know, if you're going to pitch your idea or your service or your product, it should be presented four different ways because there's four different communication styles that we all have as human beings. We all have a combination of all four, but we we all lean towards our primary style. And so you've got to know what those are and you've got to make sure that you make the adjustments accordingly. The third thing I would say at the elite level is I spend a ton of time, Chi, working with people on their sales mindset or just their mindset in general, right? Um, You know, so much of the battle starts in your head. And if you're going to sell a high ticket item or you're just not going to be the cheapest in your space, right? Because if you sell the cheapest item, then, you know, half the stuff doesn't matter. (laughs) You just keep cutting your costs. But if you don't, and I hope nobody does, um, then it's really about your sales mindset. You know, all of us have financial beliefs. And based on how we grew up, where we grew up, our experience, how do we see money? 
if you're going to command a high price, then it's important that you see money in a healthy kind of way. You know, were you the type of kid like me who was brought up with, you know, turn all the lights off, right? Money doesn't grow on trees or uh, eat everything off your plate because there's, you know, kids starving wherever, right? So I was grown, I was brought up where money was discussed, but it wasn't discussed in a level of abundance. It was discussed more in the level of, you know, um, just, uh, you know, um, scarcity. Scarcity, exactly, right? So, so you've got to have that, you know, aha moment to figure out what is my relationship with money. Mm-hmm. So you must have a sales mindset because at the end of the day, you're trying to sell something, and how you see money will impact it subconsciously or consciously. Uh, the other thing I would say is you also have to have sales confidence. You do have to have some swagger, right? No, no <laughs> one wants to, you know, try to buy something from someone that seems to be insecure and lack confidence in their product or their service or worse yet themselves. Hmm. So you've got to get that figured out. If confidence is something you struggle with, figure it out, get the help you need, you know, read the books, do the tapes, go see somebody, talk to somebody, do whatever you have to take, do, but you know, fake it till you make it. I don't know, but you've got to have confidence Because again, I'm asking you to give me your money based on what I think you need, based on the discussions that we've had. Um, You know, and so in order for someone to give you their money, which is really all sales is, is a transaction for commodity with money uh, based on the conversation. Then, then you need to be confident. You know, I need to be confident, right? That 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 I'm going to do right by you because you're giving me your hard-earned money. And so, sales confidence is not something that needs to be taken lightly. Um, I spend a lot of time when I'm coaching my VIP clients. We and they and these guys are already at the high level, right? They're already making well into the six figures. But you know, all of us have days that our confidence is a little bit shaky. That's human nature. But you just have to make sure that you know what your trigger point points are and you know how to overcome them. So sales confidence is really, really important. And then the last thing I would say, Chi, is, you know, you just have to have grit right? You've got to grit it out. Life is tough. You know, running a business is hard. Working in corporate is tough. You know, it's, we always say corporations are a human, you know, a messy human enterprise, right? So, so you've got to have that internal grit, that tenacity. When things get tough, what are you going to do? No one has time or even cares to hear you whine and complain about it. Suck it up, figure it out, but let's keep it moving. So, you know, having your internal grit factor, if you will, is super important as well. Well, oh, man, I, I could listen to that like another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> you got to download your own recording, right? Play it over and over. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, two, three more questions and then I'll let you go. So one thing, you work with a lot of women in your practice and mm-hmm. women make up about 30% of um, business owners in America. And that number is rising significantly across the globe. And a lot of ladies face challenges when it comes to sales because if you go into a sales situation, most likely you'll probably be selling to a man. And Mm -hmm. then a lot of ladies kind of rely on maybe their looks or their charms to help them pull off the sale. So for those that are not that great at sales or want to be better, especially women as they're trying to grow their business, what's your advice to them specifically? 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I love, I love, love, love working with my sister girls, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of times when I'm working with women in my practice, it's because they actually, I think almost at this point, they're probably all owning, they all own their own business or they're, you know, or they're um, uh, managing partners and stuff like that. So sometimes what we'll work with is on just executive presence, right? Because sometimes women, they may be the only woman at the board uh, uh-huh. table or the only woman in the room. And so uh, that can be a little intimidating. So, uh-huh. you know, how do you, how do you work with your presence. But to answer your question specifically, you are a hundred percent right. Unfortunately, you know, we've got a long way to go, right? So we've making some great progress, but we still have a long way to go. So yes, nine times out of 10, when, uh, as a female, when you're selling, you're probably going to be selling to a man. And so what does that look like? So one thing I always share with people is uh, a couple things. One, let's say, that you're, whether it's you're creating your own business or you're trying to move up that corporate ladder, there's some things that you really have to do. I don't believe, and you can tell by my attitude, I'm not one of those that believes that women should be seen and not heard. Um, A lot of times women were brought up to be pretty and play with their dolls off in the corner and don't cause any problems, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the boys were like running around, you know, tearing up the place, right? And people kind of expected it that way. And then the girls were supposed to be, you know, really pretty plain, um, you know, house and and dolls. And there's nothing wrong with that until you get into business. And so one of the things I tell people is throw humility out the door. Mm. Those days are gone. If you have something, don't fall into the trap of, I'll just let my work speak for itself. No, you speak for yourself. Right. Mm. Because no one has time to try to figure out and decipher what you're thinking. And what did you mean by that? And, you know, oh, she's so nice. So let me, you know, kind of help her out. It doesn't work that way. If you have something to say, say it and also uh, be be, you know, be clear on how you communicate, Hmm. communicate in such a way that it's concise and it's clear and everybody understands what it is that you meant. Let your yay be yay and your, you know, yes be yes and no be no. Just be really clear. Sometimes with women, we have such a hard time saying no. It is an area that most women struggle. Um, and, and also they struggle with, you know, being able to say thank you. So if you say to a woman, well, especially us other women, we say, wow, that's a great, that, that's a cute dress. Most women are going to go, oh, this whole thing, I got it on sale at such and such store. You know, they're going to downplay it right? Whereas what I do is teach women, just say, thank you. We don't need the whole story. You know, (laughs) if someone says that's a cute dress, you say, thank you. Right. And leave it at that because there is a blessed people when they give you a compliment, they're, they're blessing you, but they're also being blessed. Right. If you shoot that blessing down by saying, well, you know, this whole thing, it's not really that great. I mean, I bought it, it was 40% off. I've had it like three years. If you start going through all that, not only are you not being blessed, but more importantly, you've just robbed them from their, the blessing right? So just learn how to say thank you. On the flip side, learn how to say no. A lot of times women will just overextend themselves because they don't know how to say no to people. And so one of the things that I teach, I actually have a video, if you go on my YouTube channel, is a video on how to say no. And she, here it is in a nutshell. When someone asks me to do something I don't want to do, I'm not going to try to come up with all these crazy excuses. If I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, right? So what I tell and teach people to do is just say no this way. So let's say you asked me to do something I didn't want to do. I'd say, you know what, Chi, thank you so much for thinking of me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm not going to be able to do it, but I appreciate you thinking of me nevertheless. That's it. Right. I'm not going to tell you, call me next week. Let me think about it. Maybe I can make you. I'm not going to do all that. It's just 
right? But I say it in such a nice way. So women have to learn how to say no, because if you're out there selling, sales sales is a grind. You're busy. There's a lot going on. If you're running your business even busier, if you have a family, it's even busier. So there's a lot going on. So make sure that you take care of yourself by doing those things that you're good at and doing those things that only you can do and doing those things that only you want to do. Right. So that's the first thing. And again, throwing the humility out the door, be uh, great with knowing that if you are really good at what you do, then it's okay to actually say that not in an obnoxious way, but don't downplay it. Don't hope that people, you know, figure out you're good and let your work speak for itself. No, you speak for yourself. Guys don't have this problem. Women, we really struggle in those areas in that in that uh, arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I'd actually add um, introverts too, because I know mm-hmm. introverted people find themselves in sales situations, and mm-hmm. they don't like to communicate. They are usually off in their own world, thinking um, to themselves. So, how do you advise, like an introvert, for example, to start, you know, blossoming and opening up to? putting themselves in a position where they can sell themselves and not just necessarily selling products, but sell themselves in terms of getting a promotion in the office or sell mm-hmm. themselves on getting a date, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we, are we striking a chord, Chi? <laughs> 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 a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment, Chi, no judgment. So, so yeah, it's a great question, right? Introverts, oh my gosh, I love, 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 love introverts because I know sometimes in this crazy world of, you know, it's just sometimes it's, it's hard for them, harder for them. Um, so here's what I would say. And it's funny, a friend of mine, a friend and I, I were talking about this recently about speaking and, you know, introverts who, who want to go on the speaking circuit, let's say, because they have a lot of good information, but you know, how do, how, but the thought of standing in front of, you know, hundred or thousands of people speaking, it can be a little terrifying. And so one of the things, when you think of an introvert, if you, let's say, wanted to, to start speaking, let's say, one of the things that um, introverts should do is there's four different types of speaking or speakers, right? Some are motivational, some are inspirational, some are transformational, some are educational. So if you're a introvert and yet you really do feel like you've got some good stuff to share, then you most likely are going to be more of an educational speaker, because an educational speaker is just going to be presenting the facts and the information. They're not going to try to get you inspired or get you like, woo woo, or any of that stuff, right? That's going to be a bit much for an introvert, but just stay in your lane. So you've got really great information to share. People would be um, blessed to hear it. So do, do you, right? But make sure that, you know, okay, I'm going to be a speaker, but I'm going to be more on the educational forefront. So that's the one thing. The second thing is, let's say that they are trying to move up in their career at work. Absolutely do not fall into that trap. Same applies, right? People aren't, people are too busy to try to just watch your work and figure out when you're, it's time for you to be promoted. Part of what people are looking for, especially leaders, is they're looking for those people who will actually stand out from the crowd, who will be bold enough to say, hey, I'd love to talk to you about my career path here. And, you know, here's where I'd like to go and would love to get your input as to where I'm good, where I need to improve, you know, and really taking a proactive approach to their career um, development and, 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 and just development in general. 
So that's another thing. The other thing I would say in regards to introverts is, you know, sometimes I know introverts can find people to be exhausting, right? (laughs) Their social gas is just like, oh God, you know, just somebody get me out of here. But just know that you can't build trust with someone if you don't have the conversation and, you know, and communicate. And sometimes introverts will kind of just, you know, keep to themselves and think that that uh, that people are going to read their minds or people get them or people understand them. And nobody does. People are just too busy. So what you can run the risk on if you're an introvert is you can run the risk of being seen as if you don't care mm-hmm. or being seen as if you're arrogant or, you know, you're standoffish or you're cold. And all those things are usually not true. But if you don't communicate, right, the brain's going to either put start to, you know, think either it's going to trust you or distrust you. Those are the options, right? And so when you don't talk to people and you just kind of sit back in the the background, uh, then you just have to be be mindful of the fact that it may send a different message than what you're trying to communicate. So I always tell uh, introverts, you know, let's start off in a, in, in, in a small uh, trust circle, right? So you don't have to go and talk to everybody, but just start getting comfortable with little things. You know, when you're walking down the hallway, look somebody in the eye, smile. Eventually, we can get to the point where you can look somebody in the eye, smile, and say hello or good morning or whatever. But start to do those little things because believe it or not, and I won't you know, go and bore you with the details, but there's a lot that goes on uh, from a neuroscience perspective when it comes time to building trust and or distrust. And there's a lot of uh, chemicals that are being produced in the brain subconsciously. So how you interact with people really does matter. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to build trust, which is the first and most important part of sales in general, right? We've got to get people to know us, like us, and trust us. Um, then, it, then it's important. And that doesn't come by you being quiet and keeping to yourself. It, you know, we just can't, we can't form that kind of trust that way. It has to be based on communication. So, so with introverts, it's a little bit tough, but I would say, you know, don't, uh, don't feel like, cause usually introverts will compare themselves to, you know, the most boisterous person in the room, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't need to compare ourselves. That's just unequal, but you be you, because there's a big value that introverts bring to the table, but just know that, uh, and I can't stress this enough, just know that if you're quiet and keeping to yourself, you may think oh, well, people know what you're thinking, but I can assure you they do not. And if they do start to assume what you're thinking, it's probably not anywhere near where you want them to be. So just do those extra little things that will go a long way and just start with something simple like just looking people in the eye. Um, Because again, when you do that, it looks like, you know, trust starts to be built. Uh, Smiling to people. When you smile, here's a quick fact. When you smile, it produces uh, a dopamine effect in the brain, which is the feel-good drug. So not only is the person receiving the smile, their, their brain will produce a dopamine effect, but your brain will produce it as well. So again, I can get really geeky on the whole side thing. So, <laughs> but, but I won't because I know that, you know, time is of essence. So yeah. I would just say for the introverts, you're not alone. Um, and you know, you don't, nobody needs you to go, you know, be the, the life of the party. Uh, but you do certainly have to find those areas that you're comfortable in that you can start to, 
uh, approach people. And on the dating scene, she, let me just say this. Women love guys that are just themselves, right? If you talk to any woman, nobody likes that guy that's just going to, you know, come up and he's got his hustle on and it's just like, you, you just want to go, go away, right? So <laughs> this is when the introverts actually have the advantage. All they have to do is just come and approach a woman and have a normal conversation and the woman will be relieved because <laughs> usually you're, you know, you've got the, the, the jug heads, you know, approaching you with all kind of, uh, crazy talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's hope for you, Chi. There's hope for you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and the last business question before I get into two personal questions and I'll let you go. So what are some trends you see coming down the road that will cause a seismic shift in the selling industry? Oh, that's a good one. Well, if if I have my way, because I'm on a mission to bring back respect to the profession of sales, um, we've been doing it, um, you know, it's, it's the oldest profession, right? So it's certainly been out there a long time, but a lot of the sales uh, techniques are the same old, same old. So I uh, really see a shift in, because there's so much more, and I personally, this is my personal passion, there's so much neuroscience out. Um, so I, when I teach my elite people, I focus very much on on the sales communication, the sales technique, and then what is the brain during doing during the sales conversation. So the shift is going to be, you know, a lot of times people are looking at the shift as far as like technology, mm-hmm. but I still uh, I'm not bought on board on that. I think technology can be used to help streamline your process in sales. But I don't believe that technology is going to be the substitute for sales. Communication is communication. And we've gotten to the point where we think communication is emails, communication is text, communication is, you know, let me send you a PowerPoint. That's not communication. Communication is communication, right? So there's nothing, there's no substitute for human interaction. And I am hopeful that this shift is going to get less towards, let me just shoot you a text or shoot you an email and not really talk to you and get back to, you know what, let me hop on the phone. Let me take you out to coffee. Let's have that kind of conversation. Because when you're selling a high ticket item, you're not going to sell, somebody's not going to give you $20 million over an email and some proposals and a PDF, right? (laughs) Like somewhere we're going to have to have a conversation. So I see the shift going back more towards human behavior and less towards technology and all that. And, and really people starting to get back to their roots of, you know what, let's just have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I'm hopeful that that's going to be the shift. It's not about likes and tweets and retweets, but you know, let, let's think about our, well, you're, you're not, uh, I know you probably see the the, the U.S. politics that's going on right now, and there's so much conversation going on within the world. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it can be dangerous if we're not picking up the phone or having those face-to-face meetings versus just relying on, um, you know, likes and tweets and, um, you know, shares, yeah. right? So, yeah. Great. And so for the advice segment, as we start to wrap up, um, what are some of the materials you use to help you become a better sales executive a better speaker and a better leader. Ooh, that's good. So the t- I, I use a lot. I mean, I, I'm in a mastermind group myself, right? I probably spend, you know, well into the six figures every year just on my own development mm. because I don't want to just be at the top of my game. I want to stay at the top of my game. Yeah. And because of that, I can command a higher price because my clients will know that they're going to get something that is not like the ordinary out there. Um, I always say it's the equivalent of <laughs> if you go to, you know, a dentist that has no teeth, right? You're like, what? You know, <laughs> or a hairdresser that has 
has no hair, you know? <laughs> so whatever you do, it kind of goes back to me being a professional new kid. You've got to make sure that you're excellent or you're elite in your space. So for me right now, I'm in a mastermind group with a, um, a, a, a doctor who's got a double PhD in archaeology brain science. And so basically what she studies is the evolve, the, how the brain evolves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you're a caveman to, you know, now to uh, some other, you know, what's cutting edge brain science. So that's a mastermind group that I'm in. And why? I'm in it because, well, one, the brain plays an important part in any conversation. And because I specialize in leadership communication and all things sales, especially high ticket sales, communication and what's going on in the brain is really important to me in my business. And it gives me a differentiator uh, compared to other people. The other thing is I read a lot of books. Um, it, I read a ton of books, actually. And uh, and then, of course, I, you know, in part of, um, you know, on the coaching scene, there's a lot of different opportunities that you can go go to to hear other uh, speakers. And, you know, and I'm certified by uh, two of the world's greatest. So Marshall Goldsmith is somebody who's a mentor to me. And then also Brian Tracy. And these guys are just, you know, legends in uh, the space. And so I get a chance to really listen and absorb uh, the things that they offer and and share with those of us that are on the elite coach side. So uh, school's never out for the pro, I guess is the bottom line, Chi. Yeah. But, you know, read really good books, um, you know, go participate in mastermind groups. And really the bottom line is invest in yourself and don't count on or expect anybody else to do that. If you want to be the best, you're going to have to prove yourself to be the best. And that really comes down to not just how charismatic you are, or how nice you are, or how smart you are, or how pretty you are. People want to know what do you have planted on inside of you and you get that through knowledge and discovery great and for people that want to follow in your footsteps what's Mm -hmm. what's the advice you give to a new grad thinking of launching a venture or somebody that's trying to transition out of corporate into yeah well, I would say go in with your your eyes wide open, right? Know the areas that you're really good at and know the areas that you're not really good at and then get some support and some help in those areas. Um, also, I would say, you know, you've got to go in and know really three things. Manage your network. So networking is really important. Know how to do it and uh, when to do it. But more importantly, just know in life, you need to always be doing it, right? Because it's really about who you know and who they know. Mm-hmm. So n- manage your network. Also, be mindful if you're going to start a business, make sure you understand your numbers. Um, You know, what are, how many leads do I need? What do I need to do to convert more leads? You know, what's going to be my average ticket price? So just know the numbers. I'm I'm always surprised how many entrepreneurs don't know the numbers. The numbers is what's going to make you or break you. So you have to go in uh, understanding the, the basics behind running a business. And then the third part is I would say, you know, know that whatever product or service that you're going to create or um, or run or, you know, any business you're going to start, it's not about your passion point. It's really about how can whatever it is that I have to offer, what problem am I solving out there in the world? And start from that place. So, you know, if I ask people, hey, what do you do? They always kind of tell me what their product does or what their service does. That's really not the answer to the question. The answer to the question is, how do you help somebody make their life or their job easier? Mm. That's what you do, right? So that's how you need to explain it. So, um, you know, I would just say anyone starting out, uh, you know, either through their career or in their own business, just make sure that you're coming from a place of the buyer's perspective and not so much from your perspective. Great. Thanks for all the helpful information, Stephanie. So where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and talk to you or buy the book, for example, Embrace the Suck and um, Mm -hmm. Profit Like a Girl? 
Perfect. Well, you can actually download for free Profit Like a Girl uh, at ProfitLikeAGirl.com. So people can download the book for free at ProfitLikeAGirl.com. Embrace the suck. Um, I believe it's going to, it's on Amazon, Kindle, like all those things. And that's more so for small business owners. But I would also just tell people, feel free to go to StephanieChung.com. Uh, stephaniechung.com. And there's a ton of free resources that I've got on my website. And we're really good about updating information, always current blogs. And you can kind of follow me uh, that way as well, either through LinkedIn or Facebook or what have you. But go to stephaniechung.com and you'll get a ton of good information. And we're always updating it and being uh, being mindful of sharing the newest, latest you know, stuff with our uh, followers. Thank you. And I'll put all those mm-hmm. links in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show, Stephanie. I really appreciate you spending the time to share your sales, leadership, and communication wisdom with all of us, especially me. And we wish you (laughs) much success on your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Chi. It was such a pleasure to be here. And I, I, you know, wish you the best as well. And thank you so much for inviting me. Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources, and we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.